Amen. Well, as we continue to worship the Lord today, let us take our Bibles and open up for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We are going to be in the book of Acts again, and we'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is the same passage, you may notice, that we were in last week. This will be the passage we are in today as well as next time as we're picking apart the individual pieces in this passage uh, in our series about the anatomy of discipleship. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I ask you to please stand in the presence of the Lord for the reading of the word of the Lord. This is Holy Scripture inspired by God and given by God to us, His people. God's Word says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's holy, powerful word for us as people. Let us ask him to bless our time in this word. Father, as we continue to worship you, we have lifted our voices to you in song and in prayer. And now, O oh God, we open our ears because we want to hear you speak to us now. We've come before you with praise and prayer and thanksgiving. And now, O oh God, we ask that you would open your mouth and speak to us, that you would be our teacher, that you would take this word and make it living and active and vibrant and vital and powerful for us today. And that you would use your word to write your truth upon our hearts and stamp your truth and your ways upon our lives, both individually, in our families, and in our church. We ask that you would be glorified and that we would see more of you and become more like our Savior today as we hear from you. Do what only you can do for us today, O Lord, and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we come to the third week of our series on the anatomy of discipleship. And what we've been doing, that, that idea of the anatomy, is what we've been taking each week and taking a specific vital part of discipleship, and we've been paralleling it to some vital organ or part of the body. And so the first week, we talked about the lifeblood of discipleship. If you picture discipleship as a body, we've been building this body from the inside out. And we started with the blood of the body that courses through the veins. And that was prayer. 
The prayer of dis- the, the blood, the lifeblood of discipleship is prayer. And then last week we looked at the heart of discipleship. The thing that pumps the blood, that pushes it through the body. And that was learning, being a student of Christ and becoming a mature believer through prayer and learning what a mature Christian life looks like. Not just learning stuff we put on our heads, nice information we can share and look smart, but actually learning the practical side of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live a Christian life and be a growing, vibrant Christian who is mature. Lifeblood is prayer. Heart is learning. And where we're getting these different pieces of the anatomy of discipleship is from the early chapters of Acts, looking at the early church uh, in the days of Pentecost and just after. Building the body up from these pieces of, of Acts. Now, in the book of Acts, I made this point last week, the disciples, the early church, devoted themselves to five things. Some form of the word devoted, the English word devoted is used uh, twice in Acts for what the church was doing. Just twice. The first was Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Devoted to prayer. And then in our passage, chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves, and it lists four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So these five things form the anatomy of discipleship. We are devoted to these five things. And, and some of you may be thinking, now hold on a second, I heard the word prayer twice. So isn't that four, not five? Right? But notice something very specific about verse 42 in our text. Verse 42 uses the word the multiple times in the verse. Look what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now in chapter 1 verse 14 it was devoted to prayer, not the prayers. But here it's the prayers. So when Luke says the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, he has specific unique things in mind. Not just general partaking of bread, not just general praying, but something specific. In our first week we looked at the apostles teaching, that standard of apostolic doctrine of what to believe and what to do. Well, actually, that was the second week. The first week, we looked at chapter 1, verse 14, prayer in general. Last week, the apostles' teaching, the standard of apostolic doctrine. And today, as we continue to build this body of discipleship, we're going to look at the fellowship. The fellowship. We're going to put bones and flesh on this body of discipleship today by looking at what it means to be devoted to fellowship. So, point one. Let's start here with a definition. What does fellowship mean? Now, immediately, if you ask me that, what comes to mind immediately 
is a potluck. <laughs> right? I picture a casserole when I think of fellowship. <laughs> right? Or a pot of stew or something. I'm picturing food. In fact, my stomach just growled thinking about fellowship. Okay? That's what most of us think of. We think of that wing night I was doing in the summer, which was the best fellowship of the year. Right? That's what we thought. That we got a picture in our heads of what fellowship is. And normally it involves, you know, chewing. Okay? And, and it would be incorrect, right, to say that that's not what fellowship is. No, no, that's definitely part of it. Right? Eating together is certainly a very uh, important aspect of fellowshipping. But if that's all we think it is, if fellowship to us is just hanging out together and chit-chatting and watching something together, like watching a football game together or watching TV or going to see a movie or just having conversation or going to eat. All those things are wonderful. But if that's all we think discipleship is, we, we have an impoverished view of discipleship. Biblically, discipleship is so much more, so much richer, has so much more satisfying texture to it than just those things. So what does fellowship mean biblically? Well, it's both a noun and it's a verb. And both aspects matter. A noun. As a noun, fellowship refers to the nature of the church. It refers to the church as a community. A fellowship is a community. As a verb, fellowship refers to the life of the church. If we are a fellowship, a community, what does it mean to do fellowship? Well, it, among many things, it means that we commune. We are a community that communes. We share a common life. Community, commune, common. Same root in all of those ideas. We share a common life together. Fellowship, as a noun, is what we are. A community of fellows. Fellow believers. As a verb, fellowship is how we live. We do life together. And we share our lives with one another. We are, as a fellowship, we are... Literally, family members. Family, brothers and sisters, members of the body of Christ and members of one another. Brothers and sisters who form a body. Family members who live a common life together. In our text, look at verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together. And had all things in common. Now, it would be incorrect to read that as we all have the same interests. <laughs> oh, me and so-and-so have a lot in common. We both like the same football team. We both watch you know, the same shows. We both enjoy the same music. We both go to the same places. We went to the same high school. We have the same sense of humor. We, we have so much in common. And that's not what it means. It means that we share... A common life together with all of our personality differences and all of our quirks and all the little things that we like that so-and-so would think is weird and that's why we don't tell them about it. 
All these little things that make us unique individuals are set aside and we come together as one body in Christ. There's something fundamental that we do have in common and it's our bond to Jesus. It's our relationship to God. Because I might be very, very different than that man or woman over there. But we both are covered by the same blood of Jesus. We both belong to the same Heavenly Father. We are both filled with the same Holy Spirit of God. We are in this church together. We are united. Underneath all the important, interesting differences we have. Underneath that, we have all things in common. We share this common Christian life and this Christian bond together. We are called to devote ourselves, the text says, to devote ourselves to one another and to our church. And that means being together, getting together, knowing each other. I mean, really knowing each other and doing life together. As one, united in a common life. Common life, Christianity, is what we were made for and saved for. Not to be alone, but to belong to a body. And to share the common life. So, moving to the second point. If we are the body... As that Casting Crown song asked many years ago, if we are the body, same question. If we are the body of Christ, and if fellowship is part of the very anatomy of discipleship, then that means discipleship is integral to the purpose and function of the church. Without discipleship, the church isn't really... The church. Without fellowship, both the noun and the verb, the church remains disembodied. We might have the lifeblood of prayer, and we might have the heart of learning. We might have blood and a heart, but there's no body to put them in if we don't have fellowship. You can just imagine someone who's like, well, I pray and I study, and, and what you, but I'm not involved in church. I like my Bible, I like my favorite TV or radio preacher, but I'm not interested in the life of the church. What you're seeing is a heart and like blood vessels naked floating in the air. That's what you're seeing. That's a weird thing to see, right? You're walking down the street, you turn the corner, there's a heart and some blood vessels. Okay? That's a Christian. That's a Christian who says, I pray, I read my Bible, I don't like church. I'm not involved. Oh yeah, I'll attend. You can see my outline. I'm a dotted line <laughs> with a heart. And blood vessels. That's what I'm picturing of someone who's unplugged from fellowship. Someone who's not in the body. So we don't really have the church. And we don't really have the whole body of discipleship. 
without this vital, vital peace. So, what we're doing today is putting flesh and bone on this body. Both the body of the church and of discipleship. Skin, right? The skin and then the bones, right? You see people's shape, right? You can see my knuckles. You see I have a skull, right? You see the, the structure and shape of a person because you can see how they're built. You see their bone and you see their skin. That's what makes them visible. And this is what makes the church visible is our fellowship with each other. You can't, you don't see the church if we're all off by ourselves, dismembered, doing our own thing. You, there's not a church. There's just that person who says he believes in Jesus and that family that says they're Christians. And, but there's no, there's nothing visible. There's no church there. Skin and bones, what people see. And this is what our fellowship does. It makes us visible. It's what outsiders can see. It's not just a nice old building as they drive down 322, but it's the actual body itself. People in the building, people connected to each other. Fellowship gives the body its skin or its flesh and its bone, its structure and its shape. So what in our passage is the structure and shape, the skeleton of discipleship and the connecting tissue that binds us together? Well, it's in verse 47. I'm sorry, it's in verse 46. Verse 46. It says, And day by day, here it is, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So when the body came together and they were doing stuff, what did it look like? It looked like them gathering in the temple and it looked like them gathering house by house. Temple and houses. That was the structure. We meet in the temple and we gather in each other's homes. This is uh, repeated again in chapter 5, verse 42. It says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. So there's your structure. There's a central location where people gather, and then there's everybody else's house. And in Greek, it's, it's an interesting little phrase, because in chapter 2 where it says, and day by day, verse 46, day by day, attending the temple, it's a phrase in Greek that literally means according to day. And according to day, they gathered. And it's just the, the way the Greeks would express the concept of daily or day by day, according to the day, each day. And that exact same phrase occurs where it says in their homes in the ESV. That exact same phrase is used, but take out day and plug in house. So if according to day in Greek means daily, then according to house means housely. Day by day, house by house. So this wasn't like, well, so-and-so has the big house and that person's always, that person's doing fellowship in their house, but not us. No, no, no. It's pretty clear. It's house by house. Everybody was involved. All the homes 
were engaged. Every family, therefore, because that's who's in a home, the families were part of the structure. Covenant families who went to the temple to worship with the other families and then dispersed and invited families and friends and individuals into their homes. Gathering at the temple, gathering at home. And that's the structure we have. Now, for us, we don't have a temple, and I hesitate to call this building a temple. But it fits the parallel. The temple, for us, is the church building and its facilities and all the things we do here on the grounds of the church. And houses, that's where you guys live. That's your address. Gatherings at church and gatherings at home. That's the structure. That's what discipleship looks like. And that's why we're doing home groups. That's why we're going to be gathering. Here and in homes and houses. This is where the common life takes place. Both here and in the living room. Now, if this is the structure of discipleship, the bare bones, if you will, what do we actually do as disciples in our common life? If that's sort of how it's structured, we have our body, it's got its skeleton, it's got its bones, it's covered with skin, okay, all right. It's got a heart, it's beating, blood's flowing. Now, what's it doing? Right? And this is where the muscle comes in. And that's why I call this the muscle of discipleship. The muscle is where the strength of the body is, right? Someone who's flexing at the gym, who's benching 500 pounds. I mean, he, that's muscle, who's getting stuff done, who's lifting burdens, who's active in moving. Your muscle is what enables you to walk and reach and do everything. You need your muscles and you need them toned and you need them healthy and you need them strong. So what's the muscle of discipleship? What gets the job done in discipleship? The part that moves. Well, let's look at our text. Verses 45 to 47. This is what the body was doing. They had all things in common, verse 44, verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. We can stop there. So this is a very quick, rough and ready summary. This is not a detailed explanation of what all this entailed and looked like, but it's a quick little summary. And you can break down those three verses like this. What did the, what did the body do? Well, they took care of each other. Number one, there in verse 45. This is what devotion to meeting each other's needs looks like. It says, they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to everybody as any had need, according to need. Now, what does that mean for you? You got to go get on eBay and start giving away stuff and so you could have a bigger offering next week? No, that's, this is just an example. This is just an illustration of the depth of their commitment to each other. And what this meant was they sacrificed of themselves to meet the needs of others. 
They put others before self. They were even willing to say, all right, this person has a need, and we can meet it with a financial gift. None of us have enough money. You know what we can do? I've got this piece of furniture or this whatever, and I'll sell that. I'll go to market, I'll sell it, and I'll take the proceeds, and then we'll have enough to meet that person. I, I don't need that. That's fine. My brother or sister is in need, and we're going to meet that need. Hey, let's all do that. So-and-so has a big, a big financial burden. Let's get together and meet it. And they, they schemed and strategized of how can we meet this person's need. No need is too great. No price is too high. I'll sell something if I have to. I'm devoted to this church and I'm devoted to my fellow believers. We are a fellowship. We are family members. We are one body. We take care of each other. We go out of our way to meet needs. That's the first thing. Now in verse 46, it says, Day by day they went to the temple, they broke bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So as you can see, they received their food. So fellowship involves eating. And everybody said, I'll say it, Amen! <laughs> yes! Fellowship includes hot wings. That's right. That's good. They ate together, sharing meals together. But it wasn't just going to September Farm or going out to the restaurant and like, oh, that's a good time. We should do that again next year. <laughs> you know, once in a while. No, it was in their homes. They hosted each other. They took care of each other and they hosted each other. They knew what the inside of each other's homes looked like. They were close enough to feel comfortable with each other in their homes. They were devoted to each other. They wanted to know each other. They wanted to be right in the middle of where they lived their lives. Come to my table and sit with me and eat my bread and fellowship with me. They took care of each other. They hosted each other. And then, verse 47, says they had glad and generous hearts Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Favor with all the people. Now that could mean that the church was highly esteemed by the outsiders who were seeing them do this. Who were watching them, what their fellowship looked like. And a lot of people do read it that way. They had fellowship with all the people. Meaning the Jews and others who were in Jerusalem were looking at this taking place and thinking, Wow, those guys are awesome. Look how, wow, they love each other incredibly. That's amazing. And I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure that's part of it. could also mean, and perhaps this is implied, is that they all had favor with each other. Because it says that they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were generous with each other. And they had favor with everybody. That's at least a possible way to read it. And the word favor... It's just the good old Greek word for grace. Good old-fashioned Greek word for grace. Having favor with means they extended grace. They extended grace. This was a body that knew how to take care of each other. They knew how to host one another. And they knew how to extend grace to each other. This was their fellowship. And we see this repeated later in Acts in chapter 4, 
verses 32 to 35. It's even more clear. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed, look at this, were of one heart and soul. The full number, everybody in the church were of one heart and one soul. Right? They were a fellowship. They were a single body. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. This was how deep their generosity was with each other. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So they had great preaching. <laughs> and great grace was upon them all. What a unique phrase. I don't know if it occurs anywhere else in the scriptures. And great grace. In Greek, it's the word that we derive our English word for mega. <laughs> right? Mega grace. Big Strong, awesome, hulking, giant grace. <laughs> Mega grace was on everybody. They just... That's what, that's what fellowship looked like. Super, ultra, mega grace was upon everybody. They knew how to extend grace. In verse 34, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. They took care of each other. They hosted each other. They extended mega grace to each other. They understood that, yeah, we all are saved and we all love Jesus. But man, we are messed up. <laughs> and man, we are broken sinners. And oh, do we need grace every hour. And that was another thing they had in common. Nobody was better than anybody else. They all needed grace. So that's the summary in Acts of what this fellowship looks like. Temples, houses. At the church and in each other's homes. They took care of each other, hosted each other, extended grace. If you went through the rest of the scriptures and tried to get more specific, what does that look like in a more specific and very practical way? I would summarize it like this. It looks like the ten one another's that we studied last year. And I recommend everybody, I, I mean I'm not making any money off this, so I recommend go watch those videos again. Go check out sermonaudio.com or the Forks YouTube page and watch those. Watch all ten of those again. And just reacquaint yourself. What are the one another's that God calls us to do? I'll just list them. Love one another. Be at peace with one another. Welcome one another. Encourage one another. Honor one another. Serve one another. Admonish one another. Bear with one another. Confess your sins to one another. And number 10, forgive one another. I mean, a world, a watching world that sees what the body looks like visibly on the ground in action, doing this, loving each other radically, 
No price too high to meet my brother or sister's need. No thing I'd rather do at my evening that gets in the way from fellowship with this dear brother or sister or that family who's part of my church. My church. A world that looks in and sees us living like this will be astonished. Absolutely astonished. And those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that God's working on will say, that's what I've been missing. That's what I want. That's what I need. A place like that. And those who don't have eyes to see and ears to hear will look at this and say, wow, confessing their sins, that's awkward. Forgiving each other, what's the point in that? And they might even be repulsed by it. That's what the unbelieving heart is. Repulsed by the things of God. It will cause us to be a very peculiar people, as, as 1 Peter says. Strangers in the world. Not living like the rest of the world. Not looking like them. We're totally different. We're the most countercultural you can imagine because we know how to actually forgive people. We know how to actually be at peace among ourselves and not be bickering and divided and fighting. We know how to encourage and honor and serve. We do this. We're devoted to this. This is what it means to be a church. This is what it means to be a Christian. And we're sold out to it because Jesus calls us to it. And it's the path of joy for the Christian, not a burden. So come, see how we live. Come, unbeliever. Come, curious inquisitor. Come. Come and see how we live. And see if you don't feel the power of the new age. The power of the age to come at work within us. The power of God. That's what people can see as they look. What are they seeing at the forks? That's a question we should come back to over and over again. So that brings us now to our last point. The early church was devoted to the fellowship. And in Greek, that word devotion, that word devotion, it's a compound word. And if you wanted to make it the most literal you could, it would mean something like perseverance towards. Persevering in one direction towards a goal. Devotion is an enduring commitment. An enduring commitment to our church and to one another no matter what. This is the muscle of discipleship. So you can think about, I said before, a couple weeks ago, when we talked about prayer, you can think of these home groups as like upper room groups where we gather to pray for the Holy Spirit to fall with power and to fill us with the fire that only he can give. You can also think of these home groups as little the schools of Christ where we come to learn and be his students. And now you can think about them as your gym membership. <laughs> Which might scare some of you. Right? These are going to be little gyms where you can come and work these muscles. Because I'm afraid that, you know, we haven't been doing much much exercising of this. Maybe some of us have, but as a whole body, no. And listen, that's okay. That's not to guilt anybody or condemn anybody. That's just to say, come on, it's the new year. <laughs> Time to make that resolution. Back to Planet Fitness. Come back to the gym. Join one of these home groups somewhere where you can actually start exercising some of this and grow and tone those discipleship muscles. 
These are places to exercise, to practice. You are going to learn together. You are going to pray together. The blood of the body will be flowing. The heart will be pumping. The mind will be absorbing. And maybe, just maybe, we will learn how to take care of each other in these groups. So these are going to be little networks where you care for people. So you, the eight people or however many it is in your little group, doesn't mean you ignore the rest of the church, but you guys will be little cells of caring, of care groups for each other. Where if someone in that group has a need, the first person that calls is another member of that little group. And you will make sure your needs are met. And you will pray for each other and visit each other and spend time together. That's what, you're, that's what that little group's for. And of course, if someone outside the group needs a phone call, a visit, an email, of course, you do that too. You can hang out with people not in the group, obviously. But these are specifically designed so that you guys can really rally around each other. Pray together, learn together care for each other, host each other, give grace to each other, become mature Christians together. And this is more manageable, right? If you feel like, i gotta, I got to like take care of the needs of everybody else in my church. Well, no, one person can't do everything. But you can take care of some needs of four or five in your home group. Now, If we're not used to this, some of us might think, this, this, this might feel awkward at first, right? If I'm in a group with like two or three people I don't know, it's like taking care of their needs and calling them and inviting them over the first couple of times, ooh, you know, ugh. That's kind of nerve-wracking. That might be awkward. It might be whatever. Well, I have an illustration if, if that's your fear. Because it's a legitimate fear, right? If you don't know somebody, you're not as comfortable around them. Look, I have an illustration. You know how whenever your foot falls asleep, you've been sitting on it for a long, like on the couch or something, and then you go to get up, and it's just, it's just dead. You don't feel anything. And then you go to put weight on it, and it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? And there's just no feeling, so you start kicking and trying to wiggle your toes. You can't wiggle them yet. And you're like, oh my gosh. And then, right, what's happened? The blood's been cut off, right? There's no blood in your leg. There's no blood in your foot. And then it starts rushing back in. And once, once feeling comes back into your foot, what does it feel like? Paul, it's awful, right? It's tingling. You can't put any weight on it. It's like it felt better asleep. <laughs> right? And now, you're just, you know, now you're doing this, right? <laughs> okay? But that's okay. It's supposed to feel like that. Feeling is coming back in and you haven't felt it in a couple hours or whatever. And it's going to wear off and then it's going to be a normal functioning foot. And you can stand on it, okay? The first couple times you start trying to do this home group stuff, it might feel like, oh my gosh. It might feel awkward and if someone's watching you do it and stumbling around, it might look hideous at first. And it might feel bad. But listen, if... If you've been sitting on your discipleship foot, this is a twisted illustration. If you've been sitting on your discipleship foot and there's no feeling in it, okay, once you start doing fellowship again, it might feel weird. But listen, if your discipleship, if your fellowship is tingling, it's working. 
<laughs> right? The feeling's coming back in. And give it time. I promise you, give it a minute. Let that blood get back in there. Let the nerves readjust. Let the tingling go away. It won't be awkward forever. It won't feel like you're hobbling around the whole time. And you'll start being able to walk in stride. This is what we're called to. I'm afraid too many of our members have fallen asleep. And we just need to get the blood flowing again. And we need to get the muscle reinvigorated. We need to start walking. We need to start reaching. We need to start going. We need to start flexing those muscles, training those muscles. If it's tingling at first, it's working. Life is coming back into those sleepy members. And that's what we want. Get the life flowing again. So as we wrap it up, we're going to make a Philadelphia reference here, okay, for you guys. The movie Rocky Five, okay? Everybody loves Rocky, right? Movie Rocky Five, right? He's training Tommy Gunn. And then this promoter comes along who takes Tommy away from Rocky and wants to, right, that do the fast track to the to the world title, right? And what does he say to him? He's you know he's 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 like flamboyant. He's very charismatic, and he says, "Tommy, it's time for you to put some hustle behind that muscle." I love that. So let me just say, forks, <laughs> it's time to put some hustle behind that muscle. Let's be devoted. Let's get excited. Let's love our church. Let's be ready to engage. Let's be ready to make the sacrifice. To put in the effort, to put in the work, to take care of each other. Host each other. Extend grace to each other. Do the one another's. Be the fellowship we're called to be. And that requires each of us to make a personal commitment. To be personally devoted. To say, Lord, here I am. Take my life. Let it be consecrated completely to you. Let me move at the impulse of your spirit and your love. You have your way with me. Help me to get engaged. Help me to be committed. Help me to be devoted. Help me to love this fellowship that we call the Forks. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the, for the challenge of your scriptures, for the example that the early church set for us to give us an idea of the model that we should have. Lord, I thank you for this body and this church, and I do pray that you would use us during this time, during this season, that you would help us to be committed, to be devoted, that we would love the fellowship, love the body, love one another, and that we would commit to these things, and that we would make an every effort to be involved with, these, with this ministry that we're launching soon to be in each other's homes, to be in these groups, and that you would use them to take us to a level of Christian maturity, to a height in our walk with you, to a depth in our love for you and for one another that we did not know we could reach. And may that give us a joy and a satisfaction that we did not know 
we could have. A joy that makes awkwardness and difficulty and hesitancy so worth it. That helps us to let those fears and worries and hesitancies melt away and we walk in full obedience to you. Take your word today. Write your truth upon our hearts and let it start with me. Let it start with Wesley and let it trickle down from there. Oh Lord, have your way with us. Consecrate us. Make us into the body you want us to be. Help us to be the disciples you called us to be. And we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.